What's happening, everyone? You are listening to the one and only At Eden's Edge podcast, where we examine cutting-edge science through the lens of scripture. I'm your host, Briar, and boy, do we have a good show for you today. If you're tuning in for the first time, welcome. I encourage you to go back and listen to episode one on the origin of evolution, where I talk about the many meanings of the word evolution and how it pertains to a person's worldview. But this week, we're going to look at the other side of the coin, the creationist worldview. Before we do, though, I want to say that if any of you listening have any questions about the origins debate, or creationism, or Darwinism in general, or even if you have an argument against anything that I say on the show, I encourage you to shoot me an email at genesismanatlive.com. That's G-E-N-E-S-I-S-M-A-N at live.com. I'll get back to you before next week's show, and I might even set it up so that you can ask the question on the show and we can do a little Q&A session. Also, if you like what you hear, leave a five-star rating and review on iTunes, give us a like on Facebook, or follow on the brand new Instagram page, Eden's Edge Podcast. I post a bunch of awesome science stories on there and often even add a little of my own commentary. Alright, without further delay, let's get into it. Welcome to the Edge. So to open things up, I'm going to read the first chapter of the book of Genesis from the New King James Version of the Bible for you guys. And the reason why is because Genesis 1 is the foundation that creationism rests on. Every theory a creationist formulates is based on those verses and the worldview that comes from it. So let's take a trip to the dawn of time and see how this whole thing got started. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was on the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters, Then God said, Let there be light, and there was light. And God saw the light, that it was good. And God divided the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. So the evening and the morning were the first day. Then God said, Let there be a firmament in the midst of the waters, and let it divide the waters from the waters. Thus God made the firmament, and divided the waters which were under the firmament from the waters which were above the firmament. And it was so. And God called the firmament heaven. So the evening and the morning were the second day. Then God said, Let the waters under the heavens be gathered together into one place, and let the dry land appear. And it was so. And God called the dry land earth, and the gathering together of the waters he called seas. And God saw that it was good. Then God said, Let the earth bring forth grass, the herb that yields seed, and the fruit tree that yields fruit according to its kind, whose seed is in itself on the earth. And it was so. And the earth brought forth grass, the herb that yields seed according to its kind, and the tree that yields fruit, whose seed is in itself according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. So the evening and the morning were the third day. Then God said, Let there be lights in the firmament of the heavens to divide the night from the day, and let them be for signs and seasons, and for days and years, and let them be for lights in the firmament of the heavens to give light on the earth. And it was so. Then God made two great lights, the greater light to rule the day, and the lesser light to rule the night. He made the stars also. God set them in the firmament of the heavens to give light on the earth, and rule over the day and over the night and to divide the light from the darkness. And God saw that it was good. So the evening and the morning were the fourth day. Then God said, Let the waters abound with an abundance of living creatures, and let the birds 
fly across the face of the firmament of the heavens. So God created the great sea creatures and every living thing that moves with which the waters abounded, according to their kind, and every winged bird according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. And God blessed them, saying, Be fruitful and multiply, and fill the waters in the seas, and let the birds multiply on the earth. So the evening and the morning were the fifth day. Then God said, Let the earth bring forth a living creature according to its kind, cattle and creeping thing, and beast of the earth according to its kind. And it was so. And God made the beasts of the earth according to its kind, cattle according to its kind, and everything that creeps on the earth according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. Then God said, Let us make man in our image according to our likeness, let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over the cattle, and over all the earth, over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Then God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and subdue it. Have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God said, See, I have given you every herb that yields seed, which is on the face of all the earth, and every tree whose fruit yields seed. To you it shall be given for food, also to every beast of the earth, to every bird of the air, and everything that creeps on the earth in which there is life, I have given every green herb for food. And it was so. Then God saw everything that he had made, and indeed it was very good. So the evening and the morning were the sixth day. Genesis 1, 1 through 31, New King James Version. Whew. I still get chills every time I read that. Now that you have that background, let me explain creationism a little further. Creationism is the belief that an all-personal, all-powerful God, talked about in the Christian Bible, created everything in the known universe. Now, there are a few different types of creationism, but there's really only one that's supported by what Scripture says. The first one that we're going to talk about, though, is Old Earth Creationism. Old Earth Creationists, or Old Earthers, as a lot of people like to call them, take the position that God truly did create the known universe, but that the known universe is far older than the Bible seems to indicate. They typically make arguments stating that there are vast gaps of time between certain parts of the creation narrative. They make this claim to account for the conclusions of Darwinists, which state that the universe is billions of years old. These conclusions that Darwinists come up with are based on certain shaky dating techniques that are full of assumptions themselves, but we're going to go in depth into every one of them in later episodes. The bottom line with Old Earthers is that they are trying to fit billions of years into the Bible where no such room exists. They'll say that the days of creation that we just went over were really meant to represent long ages of time. However, the Hebrew word for day in Genesis 1, yom, is used to mean a t literal 24-hour day virtually everywhere it is used in the Old Testament, especially when it's associated with the number like it is here. We have day one, day two, so on and so forth. Old Earthers will also say that there's a huge gap of time between Genesis 1-1, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth, and Genesis 1-2, and the earth was without form and void. They've called this idea the gap theory, the problem here is that nowhere in scripture does it even hint at there being such a broad gap of time in between these verses. It's all contrived. Basically, old earth creationism is in essence a compromise. Since Darwinism requires long ages for the universe to gradually evolve, 
They interpret the results of dating methods to give long ages. And so, in an appeal to authority, the old earthers give in to the flawed notion of the universe being impossibly old in direct opposition to what the Bible says. Another type of creationism that suffers from similar flaws is theistic evolution. In this worldview, God is thought to have directed the gradual process of evolution over the billions of years of our, of our Earth's apparent history to get the universe we know and love today. Again, while the worldview may claim God is the creator, it has little to nothing to do with the way that he actually created in Genesis 1. For example, like I stated in last week's episode, Darwinists hold the, hold the belief that a branch of dinosaurs over time evolved into birds. However, as we just read, we have birds on day 5 of the creation week, while we have land animals which would include dinosaurs created on day 6. Why would God say that he created birds before dinosaurs in scripture, but in reality created dinosaurs before birds? That would make God a liar, wouldn't it? Scripture says that God is not a man that he should lie. So, theistic evolution's out. It's not something that's scripturally founded. Finally, we come to young earth creationism. Young earthers, one of which I consider myself, take the stance that God created the universe in six literal 24-hour days, and that he did so about six to 8,000 years ago. This age of the cosmos is in stark contrast to the Darwinist age of almost 14 billion years. The figure comes from the genealogies given in Genesis 5 and 11, giving us the generations from Adam to Noah and his three sons, and Shem, one of Noah's sons, to Abraham respectively. Adding up the ages of the men when they had their first sons, given in these verses, gives us a time span of about 2,000 years. And then, generally, most secular and religious historians agree that Abraham lived about 2,000 years before Jesus Christ's birth, and that Jesus was born a little more than 2,000 years ago. We all pretty much know that one. Added all together, we have a scripturally-based age of the earth of around 6,000 years. Most mainstream scientists scoff at the idea of the universe being so young, citing radioisotope dating of rocks or distant starlight as evidence of the cosmos being far more ancient. However, what they don't tell you is that there are several dating methods that give a far younger age of the Earth. For example, geophysicists have determined that the magnetic field around the planet has been getting gradually weaker with the passage of time. In fact, Studies show that total energy of the field has decreased by 14% since 1829. Going back to 1000 AD, it can be measured from samples in clay pots and bricks that have magnetic elements inside of them that the magnetic field was about 40% stronger then than what it is today. Now, secular scientists will claim that the observed decrease is due to a slow process which changes the magnetic field, which causes the magnetic field to change direction. The North Pole becomes the South, South Pole and vice versa. To get into this a little further, I'm going to read something I posted on my Instagram account last week. Earth is surrounded by a magnetic field that protects us from cosmic radi radiation from space. The field is thought to be created by the movement of the liquid outer core of the planet comprised of iron and nickel metal. Uniformitarian, or old Earth geophysicists, have stated that this magnetic field reverses every 700,000 years over a period of about 10,000 years, so it takes 10,000 years for it to switch, thus making the South Pole the North Pole and vice versa, like I stated before. Now here we go into something a little deeper. The evidence for this refer reversal is found in cooled basalt lava flows, which are rich in magnetic metals like iron. 
The direction of the iron mineral grains can tell you which direction the magnetic field points at the time in the past when the lava cooled. The mineral grains basically act like a compass frozen in the direction of the magnetic field at the time of their cooling. The problem occurs with the supposed age of the basalt flows. Based on radiometric dating of the rocks and current rates of seafloor formation, Darwinian scientists have come up with a figure of 700,000 years between reversals. However, radiometric dating techniques often yield unreliable dates for the age of rocks, and they require the scientists to make a number of assumptions, including an assumption of the constant rate of radiometric decay. Additionally, rock samples found at the Steens Mountain site in Oregon, it's a mountain in Oregon, they show evidence um, of the magnetic field shifting three degrees per day during the days it took for the lava to cool, a rate, of five, a rate that's 500 times faster than the current measured rate. Rapid pole reversals and basalt rock formation are not consistent with the uniformitarian model of Earth's magnetic field, but are consistent with the catastrophic earth-shaking phenomena that occurred during the year-long flood recorded in the book of Genesis. So, when one factors in rapid pole reversals, it's clear that the magnetic field truly is decaying rapidly. If the planet truly is billions of years old, the magnetic field would long ago have run out of energy. For it to be as strong as it is today, and the planet to still be billions of years old, the Earth's core would have had to have been far hotter than is believed to be possible to keep the convection currents flowing in the liquid outer core. So, as you can see, all dating techniques do not point to the world being billions of years old. Now, there are a few things that I do take issue with with other young earthers, most of them having to do with placing stipulations on the creation process, where there's really no need. For example, Young Earth creationists believe that God created a number of different kinds of living things, and that these kinds are rigid genetically, meaning that they don't change from one kind into another, as opposed to the Darwinian common descent model, where everything living is genetically related in some way. I spoke a little about this topic in the last episode, comparing the two theories to an orchard and a single tree for creationism and Darwinism, respectively. I honestly do not think that either perspective gets it completely right, at least not in its entirety. Darwinism is wrong due to the, to the lack of a mechanism by which organisms can gain new genetic information and to change with successive generations, meaning dogs stay dogs and lizards stay lizards, that's what you observe, even in the fossil record. Creationism gets it wrong too by placing certain created kinds into rigid box categories that have no overlap whatsoever. I think the answer is rather than an orchard or a single tree, life was created in a manner more like a bamboo forest. Now what in the heck do I mean by that? Well, if you look at bamboo, it has branches off of its stalk, similar to how different species come from a common kind, like dogs, coyotes, and wolves. However, if you look at the root system of a bamboo forest, you'll find many of the individual stalks are connected to the same root system. This is called a rhizome. Sometimes entire bamboo forests come from a single rhizome or root system. This metaphor translates over as such. When different organisms were created, they were designed with such diversity and variability across a wide spectrum of body types and structures. Like a painter uses a palette of different colors, God used different genetic codes to design all the life forms that we see today, often mixing codes together to make something completely new.
Like the roots of bamboo, all life forms are connected by a common genetic code written out by a common designer. This then explains why we see reptiles in the fossil record that look an awful lot like mammals, dinosaurs that have bird feathers, and flying reptiles that have furry pelts like mammals. It even explains why mammals like platypuses have certain genes that are unique to birds alone, among a plethora of other bird traits like having a duck's bill and laying eggs. Darwinism uses such commonalities as evidence of common ancestry among animal groups, but fails to produce evidence of common ancestors. Creationists explain the origin of the information required to produce such traits, but fails to explain why certain animals appear like they are halfway between two animal groups. This new proposed model accounts for both issues. I still do believe God created all life within the six days of creation, but how he did is where I disagree with other creationists. Basically, there's only one explanation for the origin of the cosmos. God created everything in six literal days 6,000 years ago. To deny this would be to deny the word of God. Darwinists have no issue denying the word of God and seek to do so on a daily basis. They delight in it. However, Christians should never do so. We need to be able to defend our faith against intellectual onslaught. And when we roll over and simply accept the secular paradigm verbatim when it directly contradicts scripture, we allow that onslaught to strike us down where we stand. We need to realize that not only is there a place for the Bible in descri describing the history of the universe, but that the observable universe reaffirms the descriptions in the Bible's pages. And I'll close with a quote from St. Peter. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect. Thanks, guys. We'll see you next time.